Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Howdy, here we are again. It's another edition of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Howdy, everybody. Harry Alexander here with you. Bunker de France, the other side of the table. That's where I am. Over on uh, Los Angeles, West Hollywood, it is our good friend Todd Roberts. Howdy, Todd. Howdy, Todd. He must be busy on the margarita that he's working on there. We'll We'll do the show without him. (laughs) (laughs) He's there someplace. Our guest today is uh, bladesmith Jeff Mutz. Jeff, welcome to the program. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me. Great Uh, to talk to you guys again. It's a pleasure. Got to meet Jeff uh, when I was visting Todd in Los Angeles. Yeah, I did. No, you just blew it off. No, I didn't. You blew Jeff off. I did not. You you just didn't pay any attention. But before we get into... Bunker, don't start with me. Don't start with me, Bunker. (laughs) Hey, I'm ready for you. Because you had the opportunity to come out. You blew Harry and I off of a bourbon of... A weekend of bourbon and disregard of anything sensible. Bring it on, And not to mention great Mexican food. Uh, And let me also just, let me go to a little bit serious of a note here. I come to you gentlemen today with a heavy heart because we lost our friend uh, Steve Ellish on Monday. So uh, the great cowboy long rider is is up uh, in the big roundup in the sky. Mm. So uh, I will just tell you that uh, he should have been a guest on the show. I could never get him to do it, but I, I always, I always told him he, you definitely should be on the show. You're one of the founding members of SAS, and uh, he also grew up with a mother who's uh, basically in the 30s and the 40s was a stunt woman at Republic Pictures. Ooh, wow! For uh, for doing stunts for. Cal, you know, uh, female era uh-huh. actor actresses and right. so on. Sure, but my favorite Steve Ellis story is that one day uh, she was working and she said, "Now you just sit here, right here by the by our where we all hang out, all of us stunt people, male and female, and I'm going to leave you. But you know, don't go wandering off. Okay, just 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 sit here and don't cause any trouble." And he said, "Okay, mom, no problem." So. He goes wandering off, of course, as any you know, eleven, twelve-year-old boy would do on a movie, 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 right. uh, uh, movie lot. And he started noticing that you know he always liked those knobs that were on the the uh, 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 stick shifts on cars in the late thirties and forties. Yeah. And so he found out uh, the when he, he he knows when she's coming back and so he gets back to where he's supposed to be waiting for her and she looks at him and she says what is in your pants and he's like well nothing and she's like no what is in your pants and he's like oh there's nothing in my pants mom why why do you ask and so she takes her hands and shoves them down both pockets he's wearing a pair of khaki pants and he had stolen all of the shift knobs off of all of those cars on the uh, Republic Studios lot, and so he looked like he had like like he had he had stolen a bunch of uh, uh, cue balls or ball or, or pool pool that's, balls, that's and they were stuffed in his pants down both fronts of both legs, and uh, yeah, she she was uh, to say that she was irritated with him would be an understatement. So the great funny. Steve is gone, but he lives on. In spirit. All right, we got to before we get to speaking with Jeff in greater detail, we've got some housekeeping to do here. So, yes, you want to uh, start there? Well, I'm going to start out with uh, coming up this Sunday. That's November 20th. The Mountain Oyster Club, which is uh, one of the most exclusive clubs here in Tucson and one of the most exclusive Western men's clubs, uh, is having a contemporary Western art show and sale. It'll be their 53rd annual contemporary Western art show and sale. And they ask you if you'd like to join them for cocktails and hors d'oeuvres while viewing the artwork by some of the finest traditional and contemporary Western artists, they're invited. Now, there's a catch. Tickets are $50 per person and must be purchased in advance. 
Now, if you're interested, get your pencil ready and your paper. You can call them at 520-794-0319. I'll repeat that. 520-792-0319. Or email them at art at mountainoysterclub.com. I'll repeat that again. Art at mountainoysterclub.com. And if you want to take a look at the artwork in advance, you can peek on it at your computer. Just do go to www.mountainoysterclub.com. www.mountainoyster.com. And I'll tell you what, this is some of the finest and hard to find top drawer Western art in the country. And we, we have been to the Mountain Oyster Club, as exclusive as it is. Uh, unfortunately, the, the reason we were there was not a happy one. We got uh, to do the show, too. Yeah. Well, we, we uh, celebrated uh, our founder, Emil Franzi's life there mm-hmm. uh, at, at the Oyster Club. And, uh, man, what a turnout for that. What a wonderful memorial. It you was. know, he did a political show. And, and he and he scoured both sides of the of the fence. Yep. But it was amazing the number of, of them sneaky Democrats got <laughs> into that thing, and they had so many nice things to say about him that you'd almost like a Democrat. I know for sure. All right. So quickly oh. on the west. Uh, well, that always reminds me of the story that uh, everything uh, reminds uh, you. Uh, uh, Mortsall said when he when he saw the uh, the day after President Nixon died on the front page of the New York Times was Nixon dead, opened up China, created EPA, and stabilized milk and meat prices. And he started reading the article, and by the time he was done with the obituary on the New York Times front page about Nixon, he said, God, if I'd have known all these things, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have hated him as much. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right, something about the white stallion. Well, you know, I got to thinking. I come across this. Which little, is where we stream. Yes. Yeah, we're at the beautiful white stallion ranch here, just off of outside of Marana. And I read this piece and I thought, you know, holidays are coming on. What a what a wonderful place to spend your holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. I'm sure they might have a room left. Maybe. Or maybe a spot in the barn. But anyhow, I wanted to I wanted to share this with you and I'm just gonna read it the way it was written because it's so well written. Adventure awaits at White Stallion Ranch. Owned and operated by the True family for more than 55 years, the award-winning White Stallion Ranch provides an authentic dude ranch experience coupled with the service and amenities of a fine resort. Ditch the electronics and immerse yourself in nature. Think horseback riding, e-biking, and or hiking through pristine desert. Mountain, rugged mountains, abundant cacti. There's a reason Hollywood filmmakers have flocked to the ranch for more than 70 years. Nationally recognized for excellence in service and value, the White Stallion Ranch has received a Trip Advisor Traveler Choice Award in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and has ranked number one on Trip Advisor's list of 133 hotels in Tucson for nine consecutive years. Additionally, the ranch has been named as one of the best 12 all-inclusive resorts in the United States in 2019, while U.S. Today included it on their list of 10 best summer vacations in the U.S. for families in 2021. You can relish time with family and friends while enjoying additional amenities including archery, tennis, badminton, basketball, volleyball, spa, swimming, fitness swimmer, movie theater, rock climbing, petting zoo, recreation room, and evening entertainment. The ranch's green initiatives include recycling glass, plastic, cans, paper, cooking oil, and horseshoes. Used shoes become art projects for our guests, as well as selling manure for compost. Visit www.whitestallion.com for more information and booking. 
Man, that sounds so neat. I want to go there. And that's why we stream from here. Yeah, um, one more thing to talk about. Uh, the holiday season is coming up. Uh, out at the Mezcal movie set, they're doing a two-day event that combines shopping, some great food, and Christmas cheer to boot. Ooh. It's happening uh, November 25 and 26, uh, and that'll be from 9 to 3. They'll have uh, tons of craft vendors, uh, more than 40 on the on the table right now. Multiple food vendors out there. Special visit by the one and only SC. That SC? would be SC. That would be Santa Claus. Oh, that guy, the fat guy. The fat guy, and uh, they also have some Christmas music out there and tons of Western demonstrations. Find out more. Go to the mescalmovieset dot com and find out a buttload more about what is happening out there, November twenty five and November twenty six. Now. I don't have the dates, but I just I'll, I'll give everybody a heads up. The White Stallion Ranch uh, this year again is going to be having a cowboy Christmas. You mean uh, Empire? Uh, Empire Ranch, yeah. Well, they're <laughs> going to have one of those ranches. Yeah. <laughs> one of both of them probably, but they're going to be having it sometime early in December. We'll we'll keep you posted on that. All right. Now on to our guest, Bladesmith Jeff Mutz. He uh, runs Jeff Mutz Knives out of Rancho Cucamonga, California. Cool. Cucamonga. Yeah, Frank Zappa always had a good stuff. Good stuff to say about Frank uh, about uh, Rancho Cucamonga. Anyway, about Jeff? <laughs> no, not about Jeff. About Rancho Cucamonga. Anyway, I, I had the opportunity to visit with Jeff when I was visiting in Los Angeles uh, with Todd, and uh, I did not get to go out to the ranch, but I did go out to the shop, and I saw all the stuff that he was making out there, and he had a oh man, it was a beautiful Bowie knife that uh, was presented to Thel Reed wow. just recently. Jeff, talk about how that thing came to be and uh, and the presentation and so forth. Well, first I have to say, talking to you guys is always an experience, you know? <laughs> Todd, Todd's talking about, you know, his this kid's mom putting her hands down his pants, and then you go immediately into a Rocky Mountain Oyster commercial. <laughs> you know, what, what can I say? I, I think y'all have been hitting the whiskey before me. counterintuitive being a male. But I'm yes. just not. I've done it, but I'll I'm not you, doing it again. Honey can I'm just not. We'll do but it every but time. yes, we have been hitting the whiskey before you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite a story, though. Um, you know, I've known Todd for a while. He's had me, uh, you know, repairing knives of his and and uh, other little trinkets and things, and, and uh, we developed quite the friendship. And, and uh, he approached me one day and said, I, I want you to make a, a knife for a friend of mine. And he said, you have complete artistic freedom. Oh. And, uh, you know, so I thought, oh, boy, you may not want to do that. <laughs> so I hit him up a few weeks later and told him about a knife. I thought, you know, he, he explained what Thel liked, you know, what type of guy he is. And I hit him up and I said, I think I found a knife that, you know, he might be interested in. And, and funny thing is, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, seen this knife, read about it and stuff. And, and uh, turned out it was the Joe Muso buoy, which oh, I didn't yeah. even, <laughs> which I didn't know about, you know. And I just seen pictures of this knife and, and uh, you know, I hit Todd up. And funny thing is, he says, well, I know Joe Muso. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I thought, well, you know. This is uh, the knife I'd like to make them, and turned out it was the same knife that was in the, uh, I believe it was 2001 uh, uh, Alamo movie, mm -hmm. and a friend of mine, Tony Swatton in Burbank, made the knives for that movie, and uh, so it just, you know, there seemed to be a lot of different links to this knife, you know, that were that were coming out, and uh, apparently Fel Reed was uh, going to be a part of that movie, but backed out. Uh, due to Tom, um, uh, Ron Howard and uh, Russell Crowe backing out, and uh, so he he didn't do it. But it just there were so many links; it just seemed right. So right. so I I built this thing, and and uh, boy, it was over a year before we could hook up with Fell, and I could actually present it to him. That's because and, he was uh, out of ta out of country most of the time. Yeah, he was on movie sets doing all kinds of stuff, and, and he's floating all around, traveling everywhere. And uh, But it, it finally, you know, with Todd's help, you know, made it happen. He linked us up, and and uh, I was able to put the knife side by side with the original Muso buoy. And 
you know, meeting Joe Musil and Bell Reed was just fantastic. And I owe a big thanks to, to uh, Todd for setting that up. It was, you know, a great opportunity. They're great guys. Uh, they've made their mark in the world, that's for sure. And I was proud to be able to sit there and, you know, talk with them and now call them my friends. So Now, on the, the, the Musso Bowie knife, which I have seen, uh, we got to do our show over at Joe's house. <laughs> what a trip that was, man. <laughs> that, yeah. That the most enjoyable and most memorable, one of the most memorable shows I've done. Um, on his knife, and I've seen on a couple of others, there's a brass strip along the spine. And, yes. And, and we see in other photos and such <clears throat> a lack of a brass strip. What's the deal with the brass strip? The brass strip is uh, what they call a blade catcher. Uh you know, of course, you have the, the blade, which is hardened steel. Uh, the brass is very soft, so it deadens the blow. Okay. So when you're, when you're knife fighting, uh, if your opponent were to hit the back of that blade, if you were, you know, uh, defending yourself in a defensive position, and it were to hit the back of that blade, it could bounce and come back and hit you in the hand. So that brass strip on there was to deaden the blow and kind of catch the edge of the blade so that it didn't bounce or couldn't slide that way it didn't get past the guard and bounce over it and cut your hand so is that uh, is that something that was on the original bowie knife you know we really don't know um i, I assume you're talking about the original jim bowie knife yes. that's lost a yes. lost to history yes um, unfortunately, we will never know exactly what that knife was. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of people that have James Black knives, which is the, the Arkansas blacksmith that made the knives for Jim Bowie. And uh, it's, it's lost to history. Even though people say, hey, I think I have the original Jim Bowie knife, <laughs> we'll never truly know. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we, you know, have the uh, uh, you know uh, the history behind it there's people that kind of explained what they thought it looked like and they said you know the, the you know uh, people that knew Jim Bowie at the time said the knife looked like this and it just eroded over time now it's all speculation um, I am you know pretty sure of course it's not you know uh written in stone but right. I'm pretty pretty sure that the knife was probably you know at the seas of the Alamo I'm sure you know some of the Mexicans picked it up or something sure. and, yeah. and you know it, it probably got handed down over the years to family members who don't really know yeah. you know what it is uh, you know who it could possibly be and it's out there somewhere but there's just no way to prove it so oh, interesting well, you know, yeah, we'll never truly know for a fact. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, so also, while we're on that subject, Jeff, can uh, I ask you the question of adding to the legend, or should I say subtracting to the legend? You know, in when we watch The Iron Mistress with uh, Alan Ladd, you know, in, in that film, he takes Alan Ladd's character of Jim Bowie, takes uh, a piece of a meteorite, to James Black to have that melted down into the knife. Do you what? What? What does your research tell you if that was real or not? Um, at the time uh, in the 1830s, I don't believe they were doing that. Um, I I haven't seen any historical knives that they say were made out of meteorite. It can be done. We're doing it today. Um, I have several large chunks of meteorite. Uh, I wrote a, an article, or I'm sorry, I helped a, a guy that was writing a, an article for NASA about the Newman lines and the meteorite. So I polished a bunch, and in exchange for the help, he gave me a bunch of meteorite. And I thought, oh, I'm going to forge this out someday and make a knife out of it. How many and, hammers uh, did you wear out? <laughs> well, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's on my bucket list. It, it requires extremely high temperatures. Yeah, um, you may have to get a new forge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, you know, you got to be around 2,400 degrees and up. 
and uh, yeah, it's it's got to get extremely hot, or the the meteorite just breaks apart. So it's uh, you know it, it requires some talent, and not sure if I'm quite there yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> well, I, I have a question. Uh, you know, because one of the things, because when we did the show with Joe, I was doing my research as well, and I come across a, a reference time after time that Bowie had quite a few knives made throughout his life and, and so I, it got me to wondering you know like what generation this knife might have been and then I, I speculating I'm thinking you know if he's there in the Alamo he's, he's, he's laid up sick in the room uh, whether he actually had the knife on him or he might have hidden it because he, he knew what was going to happen and he didn't want the Mexicans to get it good point you know, that is possible. Um, unfortunately, like I said, I don't think we'll ever really know what happened. But, uh, you know, being that the, the you know, Mexican uh, army had taken over the Alamo, we would imagine they pretty much cleaned everything out, all the all the weaponry and everything. Right. I can't understand anybody leaving anything behind. Right. Um, you know, so. But there would have uh, been a lot of rubble. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But anything, you know, of of any, you know, worth to them and and being military, they probably took all the weapons they could get their hands on. And so I'm I'm sure it's, like I say, lost, you know, lost to history. And and, also, I was going to say, you know, I I saw a lot of the buoys that had that uh, where the brass strap would have been had serrated edges to catch blades. Mm -hmm. How common was that? Not that common. I've seen a few pieces, um, you know, basically pictures in books uh, where I've seen that. But it's not that common at all. Uh, the, the smooth brass strap did the job. Mm-hmm. So doing any serrations or any extra work to it was, you know, uh, just kind of a waste of time, really. So it was, in my opinion, probably more of an experiment mm-hmm. to see, you know, does this help? Does this do anything? Hmm. Um, you know, it, it uh, I, you know, not too sure about the time, but maybe if they had a piece of flint, they might have done, uh, you know, tr- experimented trying to, to strike oh, yeah, flint yeah. To, to light yeah. flyer, uh, fires, but uh-huh. that that wouldn't work on brass. So no, it, it no, would no. only work on a on a hard, high carbon piece of steel. So it might have been an experiment. I don't know, um, but it, it definitely didn't offer anything over just a smooth brass strip. So all right, we got to do our first commercial break. Already? We're talking with yes, already. We're talking with Jeff Mutz of Rancho Cucamonga, California. Master Bladesmith will be back on Emil Franzi's Voices West after this. The land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I, Miss Wilkinson, is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank of Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. 
Watch Old West silent movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. But we have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Keep your hands on the desk, Gorman. I thought I told you to stay out of town. Listen, you three, I don't mind being ambushed. Sometimes I think it's fun. But I don't think it's fun when there's a lady along. This is the Voices of the West. Emil Francie's Voices of the West to uh, get a beer up at the uh, bar and uh, join us. Isn't that in the henchman's handbook? It you is. Never, you never hold up a guy if he's got a lady wrong. That is in the henchman's handbook. That's it is. Thought. It is. Uh, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts with you. Our guest is uh, Jeff Mutz of Jeff Mutz Knives in Rancho Cucamonga, California. We've been talking about the Bowie knife, and uh, uh, Jeff made a Bowie knife. Uh, uh, very similar. The, we, we'll call it the Joe Musso knife, I guess. Uh, Musso buoy. The Musso buoy uh, for Othell Reed. And uh, I, I've seen them both. And, oh, my God. Beauty, beauty. Just yeah. <laughs> a work of art. And I was trying to figure out how in the world I could distract how him so I could take one, one home with me. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> but that didn't happen. <laughs> I got, I got a, this, is a, this is a question that I really... This, no matter what else we say in this show, this is what I want to know most. Is it yeah. true that Todd is really hard on knives, and that's why he has to keep bringing them to you? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> Perfect. Well, the question well, the question really comes down to is is the is the source of that either bourbon or tequila? Because, you know, one goes one way and the other one goes the other way. And yeah, the but, only person who knows the answer to that is Nola. Yeah, but you see, and she's not willing to, sh- to kiss the only tell. person I know that would try to cut tequila or bourbon with a knife. Well, and, or to blame his girlfriend. I mean, come on. You well, know. That's a typical talk, yeah. You know, I don't know what it is about nice guys and whiskey. <laughs> I don't either. You know, it, 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 it's, it's part it's, of the heat treatment. It must be. Must if be. you want to see something really comical, you just go to the hotel bar at midnight after a nice show. <laughs> and the fights. You're going to walk in after 30 seconds, you're going to say, boy, these guys' cornbread ain't baked all the way through. Either that or you, or either that or you bring a gun with you. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking, hey, could you imagine? There's this beautiful oak bar after the convention. Everybody's got their initials card. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, Jeff, let's get some history on you. How long have you been uh, doing this uh, type of work as a bladesmith? Oh, boy. I've been in the knives, uh, since I was probably about seven years old. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, kind of, kind of a funny story. I, I uh, was across the road at my my best friend's house growing up i was about seven and he brought out a cigar box full of pocket knives and i'd never seen a pocket knife in my life even though all my grandfathers carried them (laughs) never really seen one right and man we were opening up all the blades and you know the different handle materials and everything and i was just mesmerized and i'd go running across the street back home and 
Mom, I want a pocket knife. No. <laughs> and I, I just, man, my jaw dropped. You know, my whole, my heart was broken. You know. Oh. And uh, but uh, my grandfather, uh, he gave me his pocket knife. It was a two blade jackknife. Oh cool. And. Boy, my mom wasn't happy about that, but he says, "Hey, I'm your, I'm your father. There's nothing you can do about it." Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, isn't it true that your true passion is the pocket knife? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, the the old school slip joint is what they call it now, which is your grandfather's pocket knife. You know, it's uh, a single or multi blades. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it slides on a back spring. Oh. Uh, today they have flippers. You know the uh, you know different mechanisms that open them and stuff, but you know the old school pocket knife you think of that your your grandfather would carry. Uh, that's kind of kind of my passion. Um, my my son Dylan, I got him hooked on him when he was a little boy, and and between the two of us, we have over four hundred knives. Great, <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us God about this my wife. My, <laughs> My wife, Terry, man, is, this house is filled with knives and guns. And, you Don't know, I just love, house, no. I love her to death. You know, she really doesn't complain. You know, she, any other wife would, you know, yep. get this out of my house. Yep. But she, yep. Yep. she really doesn't complain. I, I love her to death. Does but. she have her own pocket knife? <laughs> I've made her a lot of knives that... Um, like she carried in her desk at work and stuff and you know more letter openers and things like that uh that's kind of what got me started was i had made her a letter opener to take to work and uh you know all of her bosses you know high-end deep pocket guys saw it and said oh my god i gotta have one of those that's beautiful <laughs> and so that's kind of what got me going in the, the you know making knives uh you know even though i when i was a kid you know, I collected them, I sharpened them, I might replace a handle or something here and there, but 1998, I made my first knife completely from scratch, heat treated it, um, and just created this business. You know, I started making custom knives on the side and uh, eventually uh, ended up opening up a heat treating business. Now I, you know, heat treat knives for custom makers all over the United States. And uh, heat treating seems to be kind of a separate type of thing. You can make a custom knife, but some people consider the heat treating a different process, and they they want to send it to somebody that really knows the steels, you know, knows what to do. And and so I've created quite the business. Hmm, um, interesting. Yeah, I was buying uh, buying knife making materials from a local place called True Grit. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. They're uh, an abrasive place. And they sell knife making supplies, and I befriended the uh, the two owners there. It's a father and son, and uh, it just worked out where eventually we, you know, got along so well that they built me a shop in the back, and you know, so that I could, you know, help answer technical questions and stuff for their customers, and and uh, I just thought I was back there making my knives, and I thought this is ridiculous, you know, firing up these ovens every day for a few blades for my own purpose. Said, hey, let's open up the business and, you know, uh, advertise we do heat treating, and then it just boom. So interesting, you know, yeah, some heat treating. Any idea why that has become such a specialty? Um, these days I'd say forged in fire, the television show. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Very, very popular. Um, Several years back, uh, when it first started, we had tons of young kids coming in saying, I want to make a knife, I want to make a knife. And so I started uh, teaching classes and showing them how to do it. And, and, you know, it's it's a great show. Fortune Fire is a great show, but there's a lot of stuff that they don't explain. Right. And so, and, and you, you know, you can watch it, but you can't ask questions. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, for the kids that don't, don't understand why or, you know, hey, this is going wrong. How do I fix it? They needed somebody that could show that. And so it seemed to work out where I could teach them and, and tell them, you know, the do's and don'ts and how to fix something that's going wrong. And it, it boomed the business. Uh, True Trugrit's business just exploded after Forged and Fire came wow. out. That and, is cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, so it's, it's so funny. Uh, knives played a big part of I worked in the 
as a stuntman for a little over 30 years. And I used to, when I was not doing anything, I'd sit around and sharpen my knife. And over time, guys on the crew would come by and they'd just hand you a knife, wouldn't say anything. So I'd sharpen, and it became it became kind of a trademark. I'd be able to, at the end of the day, I might have nine knives, you know, trying to find who yeah. they belong to. Wow. But I love wow. doing I love sharpening knives. All right, we're going to take yeah. our next commercial break here. We're talking with... Uh, Bladesmith Jeff Mutz of Jeff Mutz Knives, Rancho Cucamonga, California. We'll be back after these important messages. Stay tuned. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000 square foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road apiece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal, but you need the right henchmen to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but like henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head hinches there ever was and I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hinch without the proper hinches around you and that's just a gentle hinch. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling and much more. Our Rena henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag but they sure can follow directions and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a Renahance to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahance, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. This is the Voices of the West. Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. Our guest is uh, Jeff Mutz, uh, J. Mutz Knives, Rancho Cucamonga, California. I Jeff like did slap biscuits. <laughs> slapping some biscuits, man. Uh, Jeff, we play this uh, the high chaparral theme because uh, DeFrance here was in 52 of those as a, as a stunt man and uh, God knows what else he did there, but <laughs> all all unmentionable. <laughs> yeah. well, anyway, works for me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Anyway, it was one of the, the a great western theme and one of the best westerns ever on television. Well, you know, oh, yes. we kind we kind of want to uh, wander through the process of of uh, making a knife. Now, obviously, it starts with design, and you've done a lot of design and uh, creating custom knives. Uh, what are some of the challenges you get well, besides somebody just being, uh, they watched a fantasy sword movie right, and they right. want a weird Yeah, you, you, what, you know, you got to pick the steel that's going to be used and, and blah, blah, blah. So talk us through that uh, process. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, a lot of different steels out there. Uh, it, it starts with deciding what the knife is going to be used for. Um that helps you decide on what the best steel will be, depending on whether you need stain resistance, uh, edge retention, or toughness. Uh, you know, of course, a, a kitchen knife is going to be used delicately. 
uh, you know, you're probably going to want better stain resistance so it doesn't, yeah, you know, if, if you have a camp knife that you're going to be chopping heavy with and, you know, maybe chopping wood and then doing food prep, uh, it'd be a different steel. So, right. uh, you know, you've got to decide what's the best steel for the knife. Um, of course, you know, design is a big factor of it. Uh, you know, the, the heat treat's very important. You can have the best steel and have a poor heat treat, and it can perform worse than the worst steel with a great heat treat. So mm-hmm. heat treating is very important. The heat treating process, um, you got to get the, the steel, you know, every steel has a different temperature. Um, but you, you've got to, you know, bring it up to a certain temperature and then quench it, which hardens it. Then after that, you've got to temper it, and the tempering process is putting it in an oven at a lower temperature, which takes the brittleness out so it doesn't break. It makes mm-hmm. it tough. Well, so uh, tell us about like forging and stock removal. Because I know when you watch Forged in Fire, that the whole show basically is based on the forging. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, you know, they, they want you know, to show the, the old school way, you know, the blacksmithing. And, and, of course, there's more excitement. You know, you've got the fire and, you know, uh, yeah, you know, so it's it's more exciting. Stock removal, uh, not more, <laughs> it's not that exciting. You know, you, that's you, just grinding. Baby. Yeah, you're at a grinder. Yeah. You, you grab a bar of steel and you grind everything away that's not a knife. <laughs> you know? That sounds like me. Okay, well, but, tell us uh, about Rockwell hardness. Rockwell hardness is, of course, the hardness of the steel. Uh, they make uh, testers that, that uh, has a diamond and denner, and the deeper it goes, of course, the softer the steel is. And uh, your hardness, if it's, if it's soft... You're not. You're going to have more toughness, but less edge retention. If it's harder, it's it's going to have better edge retention, but less toughness. So it's more likely to chip or maybe break. Brittle. So you've got to find that perfect balance. And most of your factory knives test pretty low, and there's a reason for that. They don't want them to break, and they want the ease of resharpening. But when you buy a custom knife from a custom maker, they will find out exactly what the intended purpose is, find out who you are, how you're going to use it. And if you know you know what you're doing, they'll say, okay, we're, let's bring the hardness up a bit because you're not going to misuse the knife. So we'll focus on edge retention and not worry about the toughness so much but you know if you're going to go out and you're going to you know do crazy things with it you want to tame the hardness down so the knife doesn't break and it's got more toughness but you know it's not going to hold an edge as long you're talking about craziness like they do on forged in fire they take a, they take <laughs> yeah. a weapon that's that's made for fighting and they do the strength test by taking a sword and beating on a on a battering ram, which yeah. you would never do in right, reality. Right, yeah. right, Yeah. They, they misuse it, you know, but it's it's entertainment. It's, it, sure. it's to show, you know, the, the talent of the maker, right. which is a great thing because, you know, hey, his knife performed better than this other guy's. Mm-hmm. So the heat treat, the steel, everything, blade geometry, you know, it was, it was all spot on compared to this guy's. But those are things you're really not supposed to do with a knife. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, it's an with Jeff, Jeff, wouldn't you say it's an extension of what all boys are like? You know, uh, yeah. uh, why is it on 4th of July? All, that's you know, all the like boys Todd, run out into the street. And they don't even have anything. <laughs> Somebody has got one firecracker and there's 15 guys standing around. Light it. Light it. Well, yeah. it's the same thing here. Let's blow something up, destroy it, or crack it in half. And until we've done that, we haven't succeeded. Exactly. (laughs) Well, let's move on to uh, uh, cryogenic freeze during the heating process. I found, uh, reading about that, I found that fascinating. Yeah, um, liquid nitrogen is the most common. Uh, It's a negative 300 degrees. And after you do the quench, which is the uh, like on a, a typical piece of stainless steel, you might be at 1,900 degrees. Uh, let's say you hold it for 10 minutes, uh, quench it, uh, which cools it quick. So now your steel's hard, 
if you were to put it in a vise and flex it, it will break because it's so brittle. Hmm. Um, so what you do is you put it in liquid nitrogen. Um, I'm not going to get too technical because a lot of people are going to say, I don't know right. what you're talking about. Right. It makes it a more uh, stable, ductile, tougher steel. Okay. If then you put it in. I was going to say, it kind of affects the steel on an atomic atomic level. That is, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It uh, What it does is, uh, I'm going to get technical, I guess. Go for it. It, tran- <laughs> it, it transforms any retained austenite in the steel. Austenite's bad. Martensite's good. <laughs> so it, it transforms any retained austenite in the steel, making it, a like I said, a tougher, more ductile steel. Then you go into the temper, which is... You know, maybe 350, 400 degrees, depending on the, the type of steel it is. There's all different temperatures. And that takes the brittleness out and makes it tough. And it's it works on all steels, but it's more beneficial on stainless steels. Now, when, and, when, when the knife has been completed, it's been gone, it goes to the customer. Customer uses uh, said knife. And then said knife, after a couple of years, needs to have an edge put back onto it. How do they do that? What is the best method for putting the edge on or retaining an edge on uh, your blade? Uh, they make all kinds of machines out there today for sharpening. Um, one that comes to mind is the Wicked Edge. Um, I, I found the easiest way for me to sharpen is with a belt grinder. Uh, I've got a, a Birking. Uh, it's a 2 by 72 which is the belt size. And I usually go to a 400 grit and go right to leather, which drops the wire edge off, you know, the burr off of the steel, and it, it just shaves hair. Now, um, the, uh, for, for those of us who don't have the kind of coinage that you're talking about there for that kind of machine, uh, sand, the uh, the stone. Whetstone. Whetstones, stone. yeah. Whetstone, dry stone. Process for that. Yeah. What, you know, whetstones work great. Um, the biggest thing is... You're going to spend a lot more time because with some of these steels that we have today, uh, they're once they're heat treated, they are so tough they're almost non-machinable. They're mm. very very tough to wear away. Interesting. And a lot of people say I can't get an edge on this. It's not that they can't; it's that they didn't spend the time. If you if you have an old high carbon blade. Uh, you know, a, a steel from years ago, and you take it to a stone, you're going to put an edge on it pretty quick. Mm. But the steels we have today, uh, they're so exotic that, you know, you're going to have to spend three to four times the amount of time on a stone to bring that edge back. That so the, the best thing to do is maintain that edge, not let it get so bad that you have to spend hours and you know, is, to try and bring an edge back. And what is the proper maintenance for that? Uh, you know, like kitchen knives, people use butcher steels, uh, which is a great way to just every day hitting it, you know, on a butcher steel to maintain the edge so it doesn't get dull. Or, you know, every day just giving it a few licks on a, uh, a stone, you know, just don't wait months of use, you know, and where the thing gets so dull that you say, this absolutely won't cut anymore. And then you have to dull. spend, yeah. <laughs> You know, then you have to spend hours trying to put an edge back on. If you just, you know, every day or every other day, that you know, if, if it's a hard-use knife that you're using constantly, just every day, just give it a few hits on a, a butcher's steel or a stone. It will maintain it so that you don't have to spend hours trying to put an edge back on a really, really dull knife. Let All me right. You could, oh, Before we do that, we're going to take our final commercial okay. break. Okay. Here on Abel Franzi's Voices of the West, Jeff Butts is our guest. We'll be back after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I, Miss Wilkinson, is now Wilkinson Wealth Management, 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson, 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're to- I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. But we have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. You know what you've done? Yeah, potted a polecat. And don't force me to make it two. You've shot an officer of the law. I'm gambling on him not being an officer. You've overplayed your hand. Now get out, quick. Give me those papers. I'm keeping them. Go on, you're cluttering up the trail. Move! This is the Voices of the West. That old cowpoke went riding out one dark and windy day. Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way. When all at once a We're back on Abel Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Robertson, Los Angeles. 
you can't get much better than the original there, huh? Oh, yeah, you can if it's Dutch Ritter. Well, come on. It's Bon Monroe, man. Oh, I know he didn't write I know he didn't write the song. Okay, enough margaritas. I know I know he didn't write the song, but that's okay. You know how uh, Jeff Butts is our guest. He is a master bladesmith, uh, Jeff Butts Knives, Rancho Cucamonga, California. His website, jmuttsknives.com. Check him out. He's got bunches of really cool stuff on his website. And uh, you get in contact with him. I'll bet he'll make yeah. one for you, too. You know, I want to settle up and ride back into the past for a moment here. When I was a little squirt over in New Mexico, I used to I used to just worship all the old-time cowboys, and there was a bunch of them around there. And all of them carried pocket knives. And the pocket knife that was most popular among all of them, because I had to get me one, was the Boker or tree brand pocket knives. Uh, Jeff? What what do you, what do you think of the old Boker tree brands? Uh, great knife, yeah. They uh, they made some great patterns. Um, I think probably the most popular pattern today is the Trapper. Uh, it has a click point blade and a spade blade. Uh, I think that's the most highly collected blade uh, of all the manufacturers. Really, um, very very popular. Boker's a great brand. Uh, they, I've got several in my collection, mm-hmm. and you know they, uh, you know, really knew what they were doing back in the day. I'll tell you, they got the heat treating right, and you know, of course, they didn't have the steels that we have today. Boker's still making knives, you know, but uh, the the ones I have are older models from back in the day. I like the the old stuff, you know. I'm not too into the the newer stuff so uh, here's kind of a cowboy urchin le- uh, legend about that stuff i had well, one of the old guys that i used to run with uh, bud stout he told me he says you know when you get one of those new knives what you do is you open it up and you throw it up on the roof and let it sit there for a few months then you take it down dump it in oil so you can get it working and that's when you sharpen it <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's something to be said about break that. it in yeah, yeah. Something oh, I've, got, I've got that. a question here for you because I was looking at some of the pocket knives you made. Oh God, such beauties! But I ran across one I'd never saw before, never heard of, and it just it blew me away. The ring opener. Yeah. Oh, you know that's been that's been lost over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder why. Um, the the ring opener was actually uh, that that was made years ago for boys and women that lack the strength to open a knife with a, a nail nick, which is that little half moon nick in the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the back springs were so strong that, that they had a, t- a hard time opening the the knife, and they maybe they didn't have the pinch grip they needed, or so the they put that little. Yeah, you know, they they ended up putting a ring on there to make it easier to open. And funny story, I, I was at a knife show, and uh, I had a bunch of ring openers on my, my table. And I, it really amazed me because I had all kinds of knife guys, collectors and stuff coming by. And, oh, you put a saddle ring on the, the <laughs> knife, you know. It looks like an old Winchester, you know. Oh, oh, is this a... A key ring knife. Is that for putting your key ring on? And, a Red Rider's and, not pocket knife. Yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had this little old lady. I swear she must have been in her late 80s. And she came by and she looked at my table and she goes, can I see your ring opener? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. How do you, how do you know what that is? Right. You know, and yeah. she held up her hands and she had these long fingernails. Oh. And ah. she said, oh, my husband bought me one so I can open it, you know. And, nice. and uh, you know, so she knew exactly what it was. But all these knife collectors, these, you know, guys so that cool. have been around knives forever didn't know what it was. And it, it absolutely amazed me, you know. But, so cool. Uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of been lost, but the the ring opener is uh, you know kind of a kind of an interesting piece. So yeah. it's a part of our American history. So well, another Excellent. interesting is the cotton sampler jackknife. That was that that kind of blew me away too. Yeah, yeah. The the cotton sampler, of course, was for testing cotton. Uh, the blade was designed specifically for cutting swabs of cotton out of bales. 
uh, to test for density and moisture. Of course, you know, the, everything was done by weight. So if there was a lot of moisture to the cotton, uh, they were going to pay more than what the cotton was worth. So they would, you know, take a little cut out of it and test it for de- density and, and uh, you know, uh, moisture. And as technology came around, we didn't really have a need for that knife anymore. And it became a, a trapper's favorite. Uh, people that trap small game, yeah, they, they found it to be the perfect knife for skinning small game. So it became more of a, a trapper's favorite, and now it's kind of fallen off the face of the earth. But I like to keep those old patterns alive, you know. And yeah. I, I have s- several customers that collect, cool. you know, just particular patterns of knives and continue to order knives from me in those patterns. Well, Jeff, so I hate to cut in, but uh, we're Harry, out of time. Harry, yeah, Harry gave me the rounding finger we're, there. We're bump. We're unfortunately. <laughs> Plum out of time here. Jeff, uh, Jay Mutz, uh, not, where is it? JayMutzKnives.com. Visit the website. Get in touch with Jeff. He'll make, he'll do a look good deal. Look at his knives. They'll yeah, blow look you at his away. deal. Look at his stuff, man. Ooh. And he'll do, he'll quote you a good price on, on whatever you want to have made. And I reckon he could probably make just about anything. And if he can't, he'll, he'll more than not likely tell you. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. We Thanks, really, guys. really appreciate it. Stay on the line. Always don't, a pleasure. All right, don't ring off. I want to uh, have have a word at you before <laughs> we before we ring off here. Uh, next time we get together on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West, we got a goodie for you. We're going to go gold mining. Yo. Todd Bracken, gold miner. Gold miner. Right here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. 78, 79, 80 O's, you cut-ups. <laughs> so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.